everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy. And today's episode is going to be a pretty kick-ass one because it's apt, it's timely. And by the time the show comes out, you guys will actually be able to see uh, where this kind of lands in this episode. It's going to be pretty fucking awesome. I'm really excited. Just before we get started, bring on our guest today. I do want to ask you guys to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show. The more ratings and subscriptions we get, obviously, the more Apple loves us and the more they can get um, some great people out there even further and just, you know, be amazing. It'll be great. Anyway, that being said, today's guest is the one and only Jonathan Slane, who besides having an insanely cool surname, we had a whole discussion about this before the show. Um, this dude's like a recession expert to the point that like business, basically take it this way. If you're, if you're a business owner, you should never fear a recession as long as you follow a lot of uh, John's advice or Jonathan's advice rather because I went through uh, your website, I went through parts of it, I looked at it, and your information is freaking insanely like apt. It's practical, it's apt, and it makes sense. And so with that being said, I wanna bring on Jonathan Slane today. John, great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks, Adam, let's rock. Dude, do you mind if I call you John or do you want it to be Jonathan? I'm just always curious. <laughs> John is fine. Cool. I'll, I'll, I'll mix the two up because I was like, shit, I've said it a couple of times now. He might be like, I really hate people saying that. No, it's all good. I'm still trying to figure out how to pronounce your name. So, Oh, dude, think Advil minus the V. So got Advil. It. Yeah. So really easy. Just go. For, that's the way I used to do, say it to my American clients. And they were like, oh, and then I just spin it to, yeah, like Advil. I take away, um, like you take away the V, you get my name. That takes away your headaches. And I take away your marketing headaches. Same thing. Love so, it. Yeah, so it's brilliant. So real quickly, uh, before we get started today, this episode is sponsored by, of course, recession.com, um, which is your website. We can actually go ahead and actually find a whole host of information, ideas, resources, trainings, and more about essentially why you should never fear a recession, how amazing John is, and more importantly, why you as an entrepreneur need to be on that subscription base. Like right away, you kind of really need to get that got information for a lot of people so with that being said dude my first question has to be right out of the gate how the hell did you secure recession.com so about two years ago uh my co-author paul belair and i we were thinking about preparing for recession with all of our clients i do uh consulting for companies all around the world and paul does executive coaching and we are both just worried that our clients weren't prepared for a recession and we saw one coming, although not because of coronavirus, we thought uh, the recession was coming more because of the fundamentals of the economy. Anyways, that's my long way of saying that a couple of years ago, we started to look at domains and uh, started uh, negotiating for recession.com, uh, also negotiated for recessionproof.com, uh, just because of the fundamentals that we saw. And we were able to buy recession.com from um, the company that owned it at that point. Uh, we also ended up, after we bought uh, recession.com, we were still negotiating for recessionproof.com. However, that one became far less expensive because we already owned uh, the superior domain name. So uh, the short answer to your question is we bought it a couple of years ago. That's incredible, dude. I mean, like that, that is... Because like securing certain domains like that, I know it sounds like really mundane to some people, but for me, it's really interesting because I wanted to get copywriting.com and I found out one of my friends owns it and they're currently using it. It really annoyed me because I'm like, God damn it. Because some of those domains really go for a lot. Uh, I remember consulting.com went for sort of like a ridiculous amount. I think it was 25,000, if not more. Could have been 25,000, who knows. 
Um, so it just always fascinates me, that kind of thing. Now, jumping right off of that, because we are in one of the craziest climates we've ever been in when we're recording this, which is practically the entire world is on lockdown. How is this affecting the economy globally, number one? And two, the recession that's about to hit us, how worried should we be? Yeah, so uh, it's unprecedented is where we have to start from. Never in history have we had this kind of pandemic shutting down uh, this much of the global economy all at the same time. So everything that I say is really uh, as good an opinion as anyone's because we don't know what's going to happen. All that said, uh, we've never... Uh, been in a situation where the governments of all the major economies have shut them down and asked all the citizens to shelter in place uh, and to not work. Uh, So I think we can expect a pretty dramatic uh, recession here. Um, That's already begun. And then I think really, I may have screwed up, I should just admit right off the bat, I probably should have called the book Dodge the Depression instead of Rock the Recession, because I really think that's what we're in for here is more a depression than actually a recession. That makes sense. So I was reading uh, an interesting uh, definition of depressions versus recessions. Um, And what I like about it is that it's not technical. Like technically a recession is when the uh, global domestic product um, drops by uh, a certain percentage for two quarters in a row when your GDP um, goes down two quarters in a row. Technically, that's a recession. I think it's more interesting, though, to think through that a depression is an extended recession that really alters the social fabric. And I think that's probably uh, what we have here, uh, is that I don't think people are going to bounce right back. I don't think that all of our governments are going to open up our economies again, and all of a sudden we're going to have a quick uh, and sharp recovery. I think that this one is going to leave a mark and that it's going to really alter how a lot of society moves and operates. As I was thinking about your show, though, in the audience, uh, you know, for a lot of those that are listening to us, I think there's big opportunity here because of uh, what the audience does. Uh, if, you're, if you're doing digital marketing, if you're a solopreneur in that space, um, should be really good for your type of business. Very, very true. It really is. Like this, this is one of the best times that we've had and it's been incredible for how well our business is turning around because everything we're doing right now um, in terms of marketing is just bringing, uh, it, it's keeping hope alive essentially, if that makes sense. For, for a yeah, lot of I, our clients, it's keeping them going. Yeah, totally. And I think that the, the, the world was going this way anyways. Yeah. I think digital marketing was a smart bet, a smart industry to be working in anyways. I think what's going to happen now, though, because of coronavirus, is it's going to accelerate the pace at which we just do all of this, uh, that people are going to convert faster, that they're going to be, you know, we're all getting smarter at how to to do things digitally um, overnight over the past month, just because we're all um, forced to stay at home, work from home to the best of our abilities. Yeah, see, the more you say that, the more my brain actually starts thinking we could actually start sparking off the entirety of what becomes essentially the uh, Jetsons home cleaning model. Because if it's made of, if it's a robot that just cleans your house and it's basically controlled by you, then that right there, not only does that lower the chances of actually having, like, you can send that robot to the shops on your behalf to get food. If that is something in production that could happen, that could be birthed from this 
depression, so to say. Which is a whole different idea. I know I'm thinking a little bit more futuristically and saying that because it sounds crazy, but that could be a, that could be the boom of the acceleration of what we have because the quickness of what people have actually picked up on on how to actually use how to do their meetings via Zoom, how to summarize what meetings could have just been emails. Yeah, so I think as we're as we're talking through that, uh, for me in January, uh, when coronavirus was um, really taking root in Asia, and we, you know, I understood what was coming towards the U.S., I uh, spent the weekend with my wife uh, ripping apart our guest bedroom. We took out the guest bed, we took out all the other furniture and fixtures, and we brought in uh, lights, cameras, uh, sound equipment, so that we could turn it into a studio for being able to do more Zoom meetings for her work. Um, she's a, an ICU doctor and they're doing all their meetings by Zoom right now. And then for my work, obviously, I'm meeting with clients uh, over Zoom or over Skype, et cetera, and then doing a lot of interviews. So we have a dedicated space in the house where we can go shut the door and do our work. So for the audience, I think it's just thinking through if the world is really going this way, then what's the opportunity for you to do it kind of next level so that when you're doing marketing with your clients, when you're interacting with them, it's more of an experience um, versus kind of the crappy um, experience that most of us have with video calls, which is that something's not working. You know, we're struggling to, to get it right or to get the, the shot in focus or to get the microphone levels right. How can you start to really go futuristic on that? Since th this is going to last beyond the next couple months, I think the world is going to go this way. Okay, so what's your take on that? How long do you reckon we'll actually be in this state that we're in right now? Because the original estimate was three weeks by most countries. We've surpassed that. We're actually, I believe we're on track for a minimum of 90 days in the UK. Um, but how, how long do you see it going? Yeah, I think um, if we're really being smart about this, we would look at it as uh, as something that well, let's see, I don't know when we'll, we'll put this out, but I think the 90-day idea is a lot closer to where we should be. I know from my perspective in the U.S., we're uh, right around mid-April while we're recording this. Yeah. I think that uh, we're supposed to come out of this uh, in early May. I think it would be smart for the governors of our states or our president to extend it for at least another couple of weeks to a month. As I'm looking, there's some great tools online to look at the curve by state um, for the US or by country. And our curve really doesn't uh, flatten out completely until closer to middle uh, of May or beginning of May. And really we should wait until the curve is completely flat and then it go another two weeks to be absolutely certain that new cases won't pop back up. Because a lot of what I'm worried about right now is what happens if we open up too early and then we just have a double dip. You know, we have another wave of coronavirus. And I think some of the early countries uh, like Japan that opened up are now having to close back down again because they're seeing another wave of it. So for the audience listening, I think what that means is, can you do some scenario planning, have a plan in place for what happens if there is a double dip so that you can be ahead of it this time instead of playing catch up? Yeah, I mean, that's always the thing. It's, it's always down to, in my opinion, preparation is one of the best things you can have. Even, even if you don't have um, the foresight for going, okay, it looks like we're coming in for a second double dip of recession. Um, right now, you've got that to prepare. You've got that time to prepare now. You're like, okay, I'm only catching up with everything. 
they're most likely going to sh- open us back up and let us back out again. They might see another after May, let's just say they, they carry through that program and don't tell people to stay indoors. My advice to you guys, as it would be, is start thinking that that is the reality, that you're going to be in for 90 days, like for another 90 days on top of what you've already actually gone through right now, because that will prepare you for what you're willing to do. And surprisingly, it it helps. Yeah, I think you're totally right, Adel. I think the, look, I think most people uh, right now, do you know like the phases of grief? Like when you, um, so something really... Um, tragic, sad happens um, like coronavirus, and then we go through the phases of grief. So at first there's shock, and then uh, there's anger, and there's denial, and then there's bargaining, and ultimately we get to acceptance. And I, as I have more and more conversations, I think that uh, a lot of people around the world are more in the first few uh, stages of grief uh, rather than getting to acceptance. So still. Um, some denial, some shock at what's going on, being angry that you can't go out and you're um, cooped up indoors. Um, Totally get it. Um, At the same time, though, as a business owner, business leader, the quicker you can get to acceptance and start to plan for the new world, I think that gives you a distinct competitive advantage uh, rather than many people who I think are right now kind of in ostrich behavior, just kind of putting their head in the sand, hoping this all goes away and not planning for some of these scenarios that we're talking through. So, you know, I don't want to be chicken little, always planning for the worst scenario, but if you have those plans and you write them down in the cool, rational light of day, then you can execute them if they're needed. If there is a double dip, you calmly walk over to your, uh, your recession plan and execute rather than having to come up with a plan in the emotional heat of the night and then try to execute, which is far more difficult. Yeah. Most uh, just, I agree with that. So truthfully. And so that being said, how would a business actually start to prepare now for that time period? Like what would they need to do? Because obviously if they're a service-based business, if they're any kind of business, really, um, that is a, we're going to go with small, small to medium businesses. How do they actually prepare their clients for what comes next? Because at the end of the day for me and what I've had to do is, actually reinvigorate hope in my clients and tell them, look, now is not the time to like tighten up the loose of the money belt. Now is the time to go all in because advertising is cheaper. We have so little, com- we have so little competition. It's a deer in headlights moment. You need to take advantage of this. Yeah. What? So, so what? I want to, let, let's take that in a couple parts. Um, remind me, I want to, I want to talk about marketing for a minute in a recession and then Let's talk about what people can start doing right now. But the, so one of the things we did for the research for uh, Rock the Recession when we were putting together the book was we read every article ever published that had the word recession in the title. We even read the ones on gingival recession, uh, which is when your gums recede. Uh, and that shit wasn't even relevant, but we just uh, read it because it had the word recession in it. So um, I'm telling the audience that because one of the most interesting things we found is that when it comes to marketing, it's one of the most counterintuitive things in all of the recession literature. Uh, what we saw over and over in marketing is that the companies uh, that kept marketing, that actually spent as much, if not more, in a recession, were able to really take advantage of the fact that, like you said, everybody pulls back on marketing in a recession. So for the companies that have the guts, that have the, the, the stones, the ovaries to keep um, marketing, you get a huge return on investment 
uh, because there are so fewer people who are doing marketing and advertising that your dollars go a lot further. And you're um, in the market space with which is much less crowded, so your brand um, rises to the top. So that's a counterintuitive thing because most people just take a machete to their budget and they just whack everything. And marketing is one of the first things to go. Consultants are one of the first things to go. When in actuality, the companies that keep forging ahead with those things are able to, to get a, a distinct competitive advantage. And that's not just me pontificating. It's not subjective. It's not me guessing. This is from the Got social it. scientists that did the research and have the studies to show how much profit the companies that spent on marketing in recessions uh, made versus the ones that did not uh, coming out of the Great Recession and other prior recessions as well. Yeah, I mean, one of the big ones I can actually uh, admit to is I actually didn't look at it this way until fairly recently. So I started my professional career in 2008, um, 18 years old, 2008, when we had the big recession, the last, like the last big one. And I still have to admit, when I looked at that, the profitability of my first year as a copywriter, I didn't make a lot of money because I was terrible at selling myself and I was fairly green, or like, uh, fairly, uh, green in what I did. But still, at the same time, my, um, my clients had made, but at the end of that first year, some of my clients had made like 10 to like $15 million from me, which isn't a bad way of starting out as a career that you just like kind of like haphazardly gone into. What I'm saying is that at that time, the ones that paid me the money, the ones that spent all the money they could on direct mail, on advertising, whatever they did, they had, as you just said, they made the most money. They came out on top. And now um, it's not even paid advertising anymore that can get you ahead. Right now there are more people staying at home than ever before. And if and if you know what you're doing and you just kind of pull, you know, pull it out of you, you know, get your head down and actually run with it, you will pull so far ahead from everyone else, it is ridiculous. And I and I've been personally seeing that in my own business. Yeah, I so uh, totally agree. And then for the audience that are kind of geeks like me, when I was doing my prep for this, I was just looking for those old research articles that really have to do uh, with uh, marketing in a recession. And so if you want to check those out, I'm sure you can Google and find turning adversity into advantage. Uh, does proactive mm -hmm. marketing during a recession pay off? Uh, that was published in 2005. And then the other one is just called marketing spending strategy in recessions. Um, and that one is from 2010. Um, and we can catch up after the show and maybe we can drop those two article links in the show notes. Oh, just dude, so that if the audience them. wants Please to, uh, to, yeah. Yeah, I'll make sure. Yeah. Um, if you send them to me by email, I'll make sure that my team get them so they can put them in the show notes as well. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. One of the things I did want to like kind of just slightly go off because I know we had a, we had a different questions as well that we want to ask, uh, want to answer about um, marketing when it came down to like what we're doing right now. But I think we've actually got a pretty good handle on that right now. My question to you really right now is the presidential election that's coming up in the U.S. right now. Um, while while most of my uh, listeners are global, what I've found is the way that we're going into this coronavirus, and it's been heading this way for some time, whatever happens in the U.S., the implications are always global. They're never just centric to the U.S. So my question is, like, what, what, what do you think will happen in the 2020 election um, and how do you think that's going to disrupt the economy either way? Yeah, so I uh, have to admit I was a political science major. Uh, so I'm very interested in how all this affects 
uh, global politics and what's going on in the U.S. I think that historically, as we look at it, it is unusual to change horses midstream when you're in the, the midst of a war. And I do think we are in a war with coronavirus. Yep. So that leads me to believe um, most likely that President Trump gets reelected as a result of what's going on. The old um, saying, you don't want to, you don't take out your, what was it? You don't take out um, your horse mid derby or something like that. Like right, exactly. And I, so for me, agnostic of if you're pro-Trump, anti-Trump, um, what your political yeah. beliefs are, I just think as we look towards history, I think it's likely that President Trump gets reelected here. I think uh, what we also will probably see uh, in the U.S. Um, politically is that there will be some sort of public works program. Uh, so, you know, we, our infrastructure uh, in the U.S. is sorely in need of updates to roads, tunnels, bridges, et cetera. And so I think a post-World War II style um, works program uh, is something that we can be thinking about because we're going to have to re-jumpstart the economy in the U.S. I know um, as I read economists and, and look at what they're, they're thinking that, I don't think this will be a V-shaped recovery for the U.S., nor do I think it'll be a V-shaped recovery for the world. And that, that's really uh, just my fancy way of saying um, I don't think that it'll be quick. I think it's going to be a long, sustained recession where we're going to have to slowly claw our way back out. I just don't understand how um, in the U.S. at least we can have 20 million people on unemployment in a month and that we're going to be able to flip the switch and have them all go back to work. And then as I look at the rest of the world, I think uh, the rest of the world is in a similar spot. Um, some places better off. Um, some countries that reacted faster were able to close it down um, earlier and will probably have an easier recovery. But given that we're such a globally integrated economy at this point, I think everyone is going to have uh, a tough time since so many developed economies are in dire straits right now. I would agree so. So would you actually argue to say that one of the best things that we can actually do right now is the people that are losing their jobs right now either pick up a different skill or just basically take what you can head back into it and just kind of like come together as a as a country no matter where you are and jumpstart your own personal economies like in the sense of get back onto the agriculture side of things go back into working in the smaller sectors that need a lot of help right now and build from that yeah, so one, um, I, I think for the audience listening right now, like the most, the thing I would be thinking through is what skills can I build up while the world is on pause? Yeah. So that when the world does unpause, I can start to rock the recovery. In other words, it may be that, you know, there are some uh, technical things um, that you want to figure out with your, your digital marketing practice. So maybe it's learning new software, uh, maybe uh, whatever the latest and greatest is with Adobe or whatever uh, software package or just yeah. even yeah. seo or like picking yep. up a new skill like copywriting which it, by the it, way exactly. you can do through our website yep. yeah i think so going you know uh doing those things uh self um self-help um learning during this tough time using the resources out there um on Adel's website and um doing all those sorts of things i love that idea so that you can come roaring out of this recession uh, i know that it's tough for uh, a lot of people listening in that we all are trying to figure out the new normal. So for me, for example, I've got two kids, they're seven and nine years old. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to be a good first grade and third grade teacher 
in addition to, you know, in between podcast interviews, in between TV interviews and um, answering all of my clients. So I understand there are big challenges. I'm still spending time trying to figure out for me how does streaming work? Um, because I'm expecting coming out of this a lot more of my consulting will be virtual. Yeah. So trying to figure out how I can create a better experience for my clients so that everything isn't so um, 2D and boring when you're doing a really long meeting uh, on Zoom. And then just upping my Zoom skills. So watching videos, trying to figure out how to get better or what are all the advanced tips and tricks for, for using Zoom or Skype or go to meeting, uh, et cetera. And I know that's a heavy lift. I'm just speaking to the audience though that's trying to figure out coming out of this, how do we really rock this thing instead of having this thing rock us? And that's a lot of, um, of where I'm coming from on that. Oh no, dude, I agree with you 1000%. Like since being in locked in, the thing that keeps me from, I'm used to working from home, but the thing that really kind of bums me out is I pick up a lot of people's energies around me. And because the world's kind of had this really heavy lumped energy where I'm at, it's it's really hard to get creative and motivated at times. So obviously everyone has their own crosses to bear their own challenges. But at the same time, the way I've actually kind of quote unquote distracted, but also put myself back on like back on track is I've taken on some insane challenges. Like I'm right. I, by the time the show comes out, my book would be, it would have been done. Three courses would have been done. A couple of challenges out of the way and a revamp on my website. And I'd be better in three or four different areas of the skills that I want to have. All that is good and well, but now is an unprecedented time where we actually have, we have the ability, how do I put this? Anytime you've wanted to learn a new skill that could make you better, now is the perfect time to learn it because everyone is giving you a little bit of slack on how you can pay stuff back and how we can restart the economy. So if you come out, as you said, roaring out of this recession or this depression, you're gonna be, yeah, you're gonna be perfectly fine. And I agree with you entirely with like the skills they can have, especially streamlining. If they can get to a point, if someone right now is really good at streamlining these meetings, there's a whole different, um, there's a whole new business that you can go to companies and say, Hey, I'm going to help you streamline your meetings in a way that doesn't feel like it's getting, uh, getting stale. I mean, as someone that has a lot of those meetings where they are quite long and you do have to keep them beyond the 2d, um, would, would that be something that you'd be appreciative of someone to actually come in and go, Hey, this is how you keep them entertaining and get the most out of them. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I was doing uh, another uh, show and uh, those guys were comedians, uh, was part of their background. And they were talking through how uh, difficult, if not impossible, it is to be a comedian right now because a lot of comedy is a dialogue. Uh, I think uh, they were saying a lot of people assume it's a monologue. You just get on stage and, and do your thing, but really you're having a dialogue with the audience. You tell a joke, the audience responds and laughs, uh, that builds momentum. And so you tell another joke and it gets bigger and bigger uh, and you're taking the audience on a journey. But when we're doing this over, uh, over Zoom and you're just talking um, to the dead eye of the camera and you're not getting any of that response or feedback, it's very hard uh, as a professional to understand you know, the, the body language of the people in the room or their tone or, or the feedback. So I think for all of us um, in the audience, just thinking through how we can get that response, like what are the different ways that we can actually build that in um, to the medium and have that going forward um, if this is a sustained um, recession like we're talking about and even beyond that, what does it look like for social distancing? Are clients going to still want to meet in person as often or are our clients going to be 
um, more uh, in the vein of, of preferring doing just digital meetings, phone calls, or video conferences. I think thinking through the opportunities there are that all of our businesses become even more global because clients, I think, will be more open to having you as uh, their professional, even if they've never met you in person. Uh, even if, uh, you know, they never will meet you in person, you might be in the U.S. and they're in Brunei, but they don't care about that because uh, with all of the distance um, in between, it's fine because you can still meet over video. I think that's going to be a huge opportunity and that those who get really good at it right now are going to be able to clean up. I would agree. And speaking of the fans of Brunei, hey guys, I actually realized that apparently this show is ridiculously popular over there. So if the Sultan's listening, what up? If you're just a fan that's listening to this, hello. Um, that was all, that was the weirdest thing I've ever seen so far, by the way, on that came from the statistics for the show. One of the things I actually did want to ask you, like completely outside of the recession thing, it does come down to the whole mindset aspect of what, what we were discussing. Right now, there's a lot of people, and I used to ask this question, like, okay, let's just imagine there's a point in your business or in your life where life has kicked you in the nuts, you're down on the ground, and you're in a lot of pain. How do you get back up again? And that was kind of like the, the usual thing, because on average, a lot of people, it, it would happen to them, but rarely would it ever really happen at the same level as, say, to an entrepreneur, where it's like, you've lost practically everything, and you've got to get this back in the next two hours or something like that, um, or the next two weeks the world is kind of all feeling that same energy right now. Like we've just been collectively all semi kicked in the nuts at the same time. Some people a little bit harder, some people a little bit less. My question to you is how do you start finding the mental fortitude and what kind of practices do you personally have and habits that help you keep your mood up and allow you to still be productive and not just want to sit on the TV, sit on the couch all day and watch TV. Yeah, so for me, a lot of it has been uh, just maintaining uh, my same schedule. So uh, even going as far as I still get up every morning and uh, what I like to call eating the frog. So Mark Twain once famously remarked that if every day you got up and you ate a live frog, everything the rest of the day would be that much easier. So Al, I'm always trying to eat a frog first thing in the morning so that when the whirlwind of the day happens, when I get busy doing all of my interviews and phone calls and responding to emails and chatting with clients, that at the end of the day, when it's time um, to have a glass of wine and to relax, that I've at least gotten one thing done that day that moves me forward. So uh, I think that translates to um, for me, it's working on the next book. And so trying to spend some time every morning before the day gets crazy, before my kids wake up, uh, writing some. And so maybe that's your time, protected time in the morning. You know, you can own your morning and work on that new skill so that no matter what happens at the end of the day, you'll have spent an hour or two hours on adult site learning how to do copywriting or on Adobe learning how to, to, to use their software. Or if you're listening right now and you're a night owl, I'm cool with you doing that for the last couple hours before you go to sleep, if that's your quiet time. But just having that dedicated time um, for yourself to do something that moves your skills forward, I, would I think is the most critical thing. And to just have a habit out of that. I mean, that's kind of right now when all of us are so unmoored, you know, we're all kind of floating out in the middle of the ocean. That's really kind of how I maintain some uh, sanity is to just have that time dedicated each day for me to, to get better at something that I'm pursuing. Agreed. And if you're listening to this, I would definitely recommend and throw in uh, recession.com just simply because the blog posts are brilliant 
And of course, you guys, I think you guys have a lot of other shows that you guys have done and you've got a lot of recordings and stuff like that. So that's, so guys, you are just stocked for information. It's pick what you want, go study, and you'll actually, again, you'll come out a lot stronger than you went in. So, well, dude, I, I appreciate the plug. The, on the site, the, on the, right on the homepage, look, the first thing we have is a free assessment. It's 20 questions. It'll take five to 10 minutes, and it gives you a benchmark of how prepared you are uh, for the recession versus everyone else. And we've had thousands of people take it. Uh, so again, it'll give you a score from zero to 100. If you get a zero, you're likely to go bankrupt in the next recession. If you get 100, you're looking forward to it because of the massive opportunities you're gonna have. Right now, it's trending at a 52. So if you wanna go to recession.com and take the assessment, uh, again, it's free. You get your score. If you're better than 52, then you know, um, relative to everyone else who's taken it, you're in better shape. And then if it's below a 52, um, grab a copy of the book, uh, start to work your way through the material, and then figure out how to improve the score. But I think the good news is that if you benchmark yourself now, you've still got a couple months until we're officially in a global recession to start preparing uh, so that you can still rock it. It's not too late. Yeah, I would agree so. That's basically where I would go with entirely, guys. And that leads me to one of my favorite questions on the show. Would you say you're more of a movie guy or more of a book guy? Oh, man. Um... Well, if you like movies, that this, this, this question covers both. It's just more or less, it's, just, it's the divider in my brain. Yeah. Like, how are we going to do this? I, I, I love both. So I love, um, but I, I would probably, if I had to pick one, like if it was a binary choice, I would probably go books, um, but that's, um, it's pretty rough. So what's the follow-up? Oh, dude, the split is perfect then. So I was going to say, what are five books that you would recommend people read during this time and just at any time anyway, just to really like get a grasp on different areas of their life, business, whatever you, the best way I'd say is imagine you're talking to your kids, they're 18 years old and they're like, dad, what are the five books that had the greatest impact to you when we were kids that really helped you through the coronavirus like depression and stuff like that. What were the five books that you tell me to read? So that's the first thing. And the second, what are five movies that you just genuinely would tell people to go watch because you enjoy them? Like, and by the way, uh, trilogies, quadrilogies like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, they count as one because there are certain favorites, but they count as one. All right. So for recommended reading, uh, the book that I have uh, on my bedside table right now is called The Black Swan. And it's by Nassim Tlaib. And that's one uh, that I read already, uh, but I'm rereading now. It, it talks through like the, these crazy black swan events um, like the virus. Nobody would have predicted uh, the virus hitting. We haven't had anything like this uh, in the world since the Spanish flu over 100 years ago. But really thinking through that these black swans are not as unpredictable as we think. They don't just come out of nowhere. So uh, with viruses, just thinking through, as the population of the earth gets um, larger and larger and more dense, it's likely that we'll probably have more viruses um, popping up and they'll spread faster. So I digress, because I got um, at least four more ideas here. The, the next one is this book, Traction, um, and that one's by Gino Wickman. Um, for all solopreneurs, small business owners, it's really how do you figure out how to get some system or process for your business uh, so that you can continue to grow the business, get leverage, make it more profitable, thinking through you know, everything from what your vision for the business is 
to what are the processes you need to what's the right cadence of meetings um, for that business. So that's traction. Uh, I love the book, um, Blue Ocean Strategy, uh, especially for recession planning. I don't know if you know, do you know that one? I love that book. It's a great, great book, but please tell everyone because some people may have not actually read it. Yeah, so I've actually, I got a big poster for that book sitting next to me in my office for inspiration. Uh, but the idea here is like, you know, the, the, the coronavirus recession is going to create opportunity for entrepreneurs that are smart enough, savvy enough to think through how they can move it forward. So like in the Great Recession back in 2008, 9, and 10, it's like that's where we got the gig economy. Uh, if you think back, that's where things like Uber or Lyft, um, uh, a lot of the gig economy actually were born out of the Great Recession. Uh, and so I'm thinking through what will be that blue ocean for the Corona recession or the Corona depression? Where will the world go next? I think a lot of it's probably going to be related to virtual and, um, and technology. Uh, so that's where I would be thinking. But what is that blue ocean you can create out of this? Uh, the pumpkin plan. So... I love this book by my my boy, Mike McCallix. Um, and he talks through like, I don't know, over in uh, UK, do you guys have, uh, do you have the, those giant fairs where like they had, where you grow giant pumpkins? They do in some places. It's usually in the countryside. <laughs> it's never in the city. It's always like out in the middle of another city. Like people in London will go to another city to go get pumpkins. <laughs> well, so I'm just thinking this is probably a pretty uniquely, uh, it may be a, a U.S. thing. I'm not sure. That, definitely help but, out though, culture. But, but yeah, but just thinking through like, so the way that you grow one of those giant pumpkins that you might see like at the state fair at Texas in the U.S. is that they start with the giant pumpkin seed and then they cut all the other runty pumpkins off the vine so they don't steal nutrients from the giant pumpkin. Mm -hmm. And what I love about that concept is for, um, for people to do things like what you and I do. So for, you know, for, for copywriting, if you're helping people out with that and consulting, you need to clip all the runty clients off of your client list. If you want to really grow a giant pumpkin of a business, because the more time you invest into those, you know, the time bandits, the clients that want to pay you the least and then get the most out of you and they mm -hmm. take up all of your energy, um, better to, to, clip them from the vine and put all that same energy into the best clients, the ones that actually have the genetic material to be giant pumpkins for you and your business. I would agree with that. I would agree with that entirely. So love that one. And then I'm trying to think through. Um, By the way, while you're know, thinking through, I'm going to yeah. say I, I love that concept. That's probably one of the best concepts of how to fire and get rid of clients. The giant pumpkin idea. Yeah. I mean, pumpkin plan by McCallux. I think the analogy uh, is just brilliant. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with the, for last um, it's uh, the book is what it takes. It's by Steven Schwartzman. And uh, to be perfectly honest with the audience here, I still have about two hours and 15 minutes left to read um, or listen to on audible. Um, but I just want to talk about a current book because I love, he's the CEO, uh, founder of Blackstone and talks through how they built um, this global business 
um, at Blackstone of buying and selling um, different assets and it's kind of a hedge fund and how they did that. And then right now I'm kind of at the good part about how they use the great recession to take their business to the next level. So I'm finding it really inspirational. And lately I've been really into listening to biographies and autobiographies of great business leaders. So I think that's a good one to round out the, uh, the top have, five for me. Have, have you listened to uh, Phil Knight's book yet? Oh yeah. Shoe dog. Shoe dog. Amazing. Yeah. 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 I love uh, totally love that one. I'm in love with that one. And then, um, I liked, uh, Bob Iger's book. Oh, that's probably a great one for our audience. Um, thinking about digital marketing, Bob Iger, the, the, the CEO of Disney and yeah. his book ride of a lifetime. I don't know if you've checked that out, but I, I thought have. that was a really badass. Um, great story. Great storyteller I, too. I haven't checked it out, but I'm actually on, I'm going to be getting his masterclass as soon as it releases. If it's out, it's definitely coming out. I think I'm getting it this weekend. But his masterclass on how he uh, built and created Disney. Like how he took it to the level that he did. Um, yeah, totally. Um, totally love that. Um, I, and it's funny. I Books is my obvious answer because I was able to rattle off five and there's yeah, probably yeah. 20 more in my head. I, when it comes to movies, um, I, I can do it. Um, I like um, my number one movie of all times. I don't even know if I know I've never said this on air. Yeah, uh, and I'm not time. sure that this should be out there, but it's Breakfast Club. You oh know my what God, the Breakfast, dude, it's one of my favorite movies ever. Who does not love, um, was it Judd Nelson? Who doesn't love that bratty, or that, that bunch? <laughs> exactly, dudes? the Brat Pack. Um, that's Molly that's, Ringwald, Emilio Estevez, yep, uh, Judd, old. Ali Sheedy. Yep. Um, oh so God, yeah, so totally huge Breakfast Club fan. Um, my kids are still too young to be able yep. to watch it <laughs> and enjoy, but excited for, for when they can get into that. Um, and dude, I do love uh, a lot of these. Um, I'm glad the trilogies and the, the, the quadrilogies only count as one, but I do love um, the, the heroic journey. So yeah. thinking through like the Lord of the Rings yep. and the heroic journey of how, you know, that character has that through line and how you have all these worlds colliding. Um, I love uh, the Hobbit series um, uh, after the Lord of the Rings, but just everything that Tolkien did, um, I thought was so brilliantly written. And then um, I read uh, all the books, obviously, um, from that series and uh, thinking about rereading those again. Uh, but again, uh, in terms of how um, they write dialogue, um, how Tolkien did that, I'm always fascinated. So I don't know if you can help me figure this out. How do you do that with like the copywriting thing? Like how, how do you hear in your head the right stuff to write when it comes to, to, to dialogue or, or just putting together a narrative? I don't get it. My brain doesn't work that way. Okay, so with, uh, when you write story-based copy, what, you, what I tend to do is I create a framework. And guys, this is something that we actually do teach uh, and you can get it on my website. It's basically a three-step system. Um, so the first thing I'd ask you would be like, what was one of the greatest defeats you've actually had? And by the way, are we talking about like copy for selling a product or something like writing a book? I think it's, um, it's well, I'm similar, interested though. in both. If you want to, if you want to tell me how to do both, I'd love to hear okay. your thoughts. And, and then I can tell you how I, you know, went about writing the book, which I think is probably pretty different, but okay. go for it. So the book, I, I'm not going to really touch on that one that much because my, my process for writing a book is honestly, um, Chris Guerrero taught me this like a decade ago and it just stuck in my head, which is get 10 post-it notes, stick them on the wall, write chapter titles and write three points under each one, grab a dictaphone. In this case, it just used my MacBook 
and um, speak into it and then transcribe it. And now you have a book and then now you have an audio book. I was like, Oh, okay. So that, that, that's how I do those. So realistically the stories that you pick on those um, follows the exact same frameworks as well. So it's overarching thing. And the first thing I'd say to you, and specifically for sales letters, content, and everything else, it's the unlimited content factor that comes out from this. What was your greatest defeat before you did what you did? Like, of course, the straight, you've, everyone has not really had a straight path. There are some people that probably have a straight path to where they are right now, but most of us have had bumpy roads. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I mean, for me, my book opens uh, with my greatest defeat, which is that in the Great Recession, dude, I the, the reason I survived it was because I, I owned five gyms at the time and I wasn't prepared, had no plan, and uh, I survived only because I had uh, a mother-in-law that was able to loan me some money to help me get through the Great Recession. And by a little bit of money, I mean a quarter of a million bucks. Dang, uh, and so now I've paid her back, so it's cool for me to tell the story in the book and talk through um, what I'm up to, but now uh, the reason I do what I do and I'm doing um, your show and the interviews is that I don't think anybody should have to borrow money from their mother-in-law um, to survive a recession. So I wanted to tell the story of what I think uh, others can do. So I totally agree with you that starting with a greatest defeat is great fodder for, for a book um, or a story. Oh, I agree. It's basically starting off of that, but you never, the way I do it is, so we start off there and you have the five gems thing. And then we look at the other side, which is um, what was the point of no return and you knowing what you do now to help people survive recessions? Like, what was that point of no return? You're like, okay, we've got it. We have to, like, we're on the right path. Yeah. So for, I think for me, it's that I enjoy uh, talking others through their business and helping them figure out how to grow their business more than I was enjoying helping people get in shape. I mean, I like working out at the gym, but after doing it for a long time, discovered that I'm really more about um, consulting and coming alongside others. So, you know, from the personal training standpoint, I guess it's, it's being a personal trainer, but more for people's businesses than for their bodies. Yeah, I would agree with that. I can see how that would be a case. So that point of no return that really came through may have been just that. So that's perfect. It's like a, a point of no return. Now, my question to you is there's about eight to 10 steps from borrowing money from mother-in-law to, I actually really enjoy helping people work out their businesses more than their bodies. There was steps. What I would do is I'd list them all out and then I'd start picking each one and breaking those down through the same framework. Okay. Like how did I get to this step? What was my defeat before I even got to the step, like step one, and where did I know the point of no return was that I could get past this level and go to the next thing? And then you have your mini steps underneath that and you keep breaking it down. So this is how I get like multiple storylines out of someone's story. And then when I sit down to actually write the copy, I've already picked out what story is going to resonate best with that audience based on research. Like, so I look at your audience, I look at what they're responding to. I look at you and I look at what you sound like and what gets you a pop. Um, so to use, uh, so did you ever watch like wrestling in the nineties? Uh, yeah. WWF was like one of the best <laughs> attitude yeah. ever. You couldn't go wrong. Everyone was encapsulated. So I always tell people, I study that. I look at exactly what makes a wrestler pop and what makes a wrestler fall, what gimmicks went over and what gimmicks didn't work at all. Um, so because of that, I actually do the exact same thing when I'm writing copy for clients. So we reverse engineer that entire sequence and it's all inside my head. So I can't fully understand it. 
Um, and essentially from that perspective, it's building those two together and then writing out the entire sequence from that. So essentially yeah, that's I'm, what it is. I'm taking notes right now. Uh, I definitely, I love the framework. I think that's brilliant um, to go from greatest defeat all the way through to turning point and then listing out the steps. And I think a lot of that's applicable for our audience. They, you know, start with, uh, they can do the free assessment thing on recession.com, figure out where their benchmark is, and then use that to figure out where, where do I need to be future state with each of these items? And then what are the steps to get there? That's really a lot of the meat of how they can figure out how to rock the recession. So it's completely parallel with the, the same process I'd recommend. I love it. Oh, for sure. I, I love that. And uh, it's brilliant. Now, guys, I know we had about three more movies to go, but unfortunately, we're running low on time today. Of course, I'd love to have Jonathan back on another time because this last hour has just flown right by for me. And uh, dude, you're a powerhouse of information. So thank you for actually being here today. I really appreciate you taking the time. I uh, appreciate it, Adel. And then I think, yeah, let's, um, we can do another uh, show in three to six months. I think we're going to know a lot more about where the economy is, um, what's going on, how deep the recession is, and we can talk through that. And then at that point, maybe the audience will have had a chance to um, start to work through their recession plan. And we can start to figure out really how can we start to turn from rock the recession to rock the recovery, uh, because we should be getting um, through this thing in the next three to six months. I would agree. I would hope so. Guys, go check out recession.com. Follow Jonathan Slain, S-L-A-I-N. Um, literally everyone online, he's a really, really good dude, as you just heard. And he's got some great interviews from other places as well that you guys can go check out. As always, I've been Adel Marcy. It's been a pleasure. That was something dropping in the background. Hopefully, if it gets picked up, it gets picked up. Um, but guys, please rate, share, subscribe, and review the show. And as always, have an amazing weekend. Take care, guys.